today on It's Time. The children of Israel were complacent. They liked it where they were at. But God says, no, I'm going to put some things in your life now that are going to be motivators for you to change. I hear the calling. It's time. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going through the book of Exodus. So turn there in your Bible and follow along with Pastor Mike. If you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Exodus. This is the book where God redeems the people of Israel out of Egypt. You know, some people have actually said, redemption is greater than creation. You know, I think about that for a minute. If you think about how many movies that you've seen in the movie houses about redemption, Whether it's Star Wars and the Dark Force, Luke, all that. Whether you look at, um, you know, the Clint Eastwood movies, whether you look at... But it's where something uh, was good, then something came along and wrecked it, and then a Savior comes on the scene and fixes it. This is one of the key things that uh, we find in the Bible. But redemption is something that God absolutely does because he loves his people. Now, again, we wrapped up the study last week in Genesis. Joseph uh, dying, being embalmed. He said, told his brothers, whatever you do when you leave Egypt, don't leave me here. Now, I know a lot of people don't care much about their body when they're dead. Uh, Just cremate me, sprinkle my ashes over the Snake River Canyon. Um, Finally, you get to jump off the bridge this time without a parachute. Okay. But the point is, is this. In the Bible, interestingly enough, the body did mean something. And its placement thereof meant something. I know a lot of people today say, well, it's the old shell. It doesn't matter. But what I believe the old shell is, is a testimony for future generations concerning your life. Now, remember, Jacob, when he died, he said, I don't want to be buried here either. And so we remember he was taken back to the cave that he bought and he was buried not alongside Rachel, his favorite wife, but he was buried alongside Leah, whom the Savior came because it was Judah from the tribe, from from Leah. So understanding that, we now come into Genesis, uh, excuse me, uh, Exodus 1. Let's pray. Father, as we read these words today, may you expand our horizons. May we understand how great, how big, how wonderful you are. And so we ask you now by your spirit that you would show us and let us know again, confirm to us that great redemption in Jesus name. Amen. Now, these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt each and 
and each man, each of his household that came to Jacob. Um, the children of Israel and the ones that came to Jacob. Interesting, here we find in this verse, you find both his old name, Jacob, heel catcher, and his new name, guided by God or led of God. Uh, in the same chapter. You'll find that in the Bible, God changes our name. And for your information, you as a Christian, the Bible says in heaven, you're going to get a new name too. I don't know what it's going to be. Maybe some of you really liked your name. Maybe some of you didn't like the name uh, uh, Rasputin. If you didn't like that, God's going to give you a new name. Now, here's why that's important. God knows us differently than people by the world know us. That's why I believe there is a new name given to us. God sees you differently than the world sees you, and God sees you differently than you see yourself. Paul tells us God already sees us seated in heavenly places with him. And when I'm having a really bad day, I want to always get God's view of me seated in heavenly places with him. Again, God lives in all times present. God knows the ultimate decisions that I will make in my life. And just because God knows the decisions I will make does not stop me from making those decisions. How then wisely should I pray to make the right decisions? Well, here we find the children of Israel who, and notice this, who came to, when they came to Egypt, the children of Israel, the children of Jacob. Now, when it's after the flesh, you'll find the old name. When it's after the spirit, you'll find the new name. You'll find Abram, and then as God changed his name to Abraham, you find Jacob, heel catcher, God changed his name to chosen of God. Now, why is that? Well, you'll find in the scripture, when they do things in the flesh, you'll find the old name. When they do things after the spirit, you find the new name. Notice this. In this verse, the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. The names of the children of Israel. That was his name. That's where they got their name, Israel. Now, you'll notice these are the names of the children. But notice it says each and his household came with Jacob. You know, there's a lot of things that Jacob did that weren't after the spirit. I think that's why the name Jacob appears here. Uh, he started having kids with his wife's handmaidens, all kinds of crazy stuff, okay? But what's really amazing, when you go to Revelation chapter 7, you find all the children of Israel, the tribes of Israel listed, and they're listed there. Why? Because remember this, everyone, God is bigger than the things that you've done wrong. God fixes things. My dad, my earthly father, could fix anything. I never even worried about breaking stuff because I know dad could fix it. Oh, that we would get that same concept about our father in heaven. No matter what happens, daddy can fix it. Now, does that mean it doesn't leave a mark? Yeah, it'll leave a mark. You drive a, 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 a old rusty nail into a beautiful varnished uh, uh, coffee table. Well, God comes along and pulls the nail out, but it will leave a hole. Best to not let the hole get driven in the coffee table in the first place. So he lists the name, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Iskar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Daniel, Naphtali, Gad, Asher. All those were descendants of Jacob and the 70 persons for Joseph was in Egypt already. 
And Joseph died and all of his brothers and that generation. So we find a change now of going from really the patriarchal fathers now into the children of Israel in the land of Goshen, the very best land because Pharaoh was so indebted to Joseph for interpreting the dream and preserving the people of Egypt and the, and the whole Middle East for that matter, that he gave to Joseph for his family the very best land of Egypt. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied, grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. They estimate over a million at this point in just 400 years. Now, this from now on, we get into some really wild, really wild stuff in the Bible. Because when we look at this, we have to look at several places. And this is where the precept comes in in studying line by line. Now, verse 8. Now, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Friends, this is a weird verse, but it's very important in understanding the rest of Scripture. When we go to the book of Acts, and I'll just go to the book of Acts. The book of Acts... Chapter 7, it tells us here that, and I'll just read this to you. Uh, if you like to take notes, it's Acts seven seventeen. And when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. We just read that in the Old Testament. Now we're in the New Testament. Now here's what's important. Till another king arose who did not know Joseph. You said, Mike, we just read that. Yeah, the word another, there's two Greek words for the word another. Another, I was writing with my pencil, I broke my pencil, I need what? Another, okay? That's one of the same kind. But another in the, in the Greek can also mean another of a different kind. Interestingly enough, the other here, what we find in Acts chapter 7, is one of a different kind. You say, well, why does that matter? Well, if you go even further, and if we go, uh, go going back, um, Isaiah 52 verse 4 here the Bible says that they were oppressed in Egypt by an Assyrian. Oh, I, I, I thought it was an Egyptian. Oh, contradictions in the Bible. No. It was a pharaoh of a different kind. It wasn't an Egyptian pharaoh. Yes, still in Egypt. Yes, still called a pharaoh. But it was not an Egyptian pharaoh. It was an Assyrian pharaoh. Either by the expansion of the uh, Assyrian Empire... Or somehow this Assyrian got in to the position of being Pharaoh, did not know all the things that, that Joseph and the children of Israel did for Egypt. And the Bible now here talks about then the heavy oppression that came upon the children of Israel. 
And he said to his people, verse 9, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more mightier than we. Come, let us deal treacherously. The word wisely there is actually the word shrewdly or treacherously with them, lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of a war that they would join our enemies and fight against us. So let's go up. Um, so, so, uh, so they not go up out of the land. So the idea here was that they were going to now come against them. Now, a couple of things. First of all, I want to tell everybody, do what you can do while you can do it. Because somebody else may come along that's not like you and will not have the influence in your family or in your friends or in your school or in your company like you do. Things change in this world. The effect that you and me can have today may not be there tomorrow. And so work, Jesus said, for the night is coming when no one can work. We want to be as effective as we can to promote the gospel while we can, because the rapture may come. You may not be here. You know, I think about that. Today might be the last day we'll be here. Just imagine, you got plans this week, what you're going to go do, got to mow the lawn. Lord, come, we're out of here. Imagine the world without God. Well, that's what they're going to get. The second possibility is there's people that are with us this week that the Lord may take home. They may die. They may go into an eternity without God. They won't be here next week. We want to do what we can do for God while we can do it, because we're not always going to be here. There will be another king that will come in your place, another person that will come in your place that may not have the godly influence that you offer your family, your friends, your business. And so it says, another king came. So they were fearful of them. Let us begin to oppress them. Now, you got to remember, the full 400 years that they were in Egypt, the children of Israel, was not all slavery. But towards the end of that, this another king that rose up, this is where the heavy oppression and slavery came. Now, I have found something in my own personal life that God generally, when he wants to move me, will give me the unction to do so. Rarely does somebody come along and say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing really good. Hey, you ready to go move, do something else? No, I'm pretty happy with where I'm at. But you know, I have found that when I get really unhappy or whatever, and I'm not talking about spiritual oppression, because I believe we can be spiritually oppressed if we're doing God's work. Certainly as we look at the life of Jesus, the disciples, Paul, you see how uh, there would be many different things that would try to stop them from doing what God called them to do. Even if it was to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, where the demon-possessed man was, the Bible says a storm arose on the Sea of Galilee in some much that they thought they were going to sink. Um, I I, I do know that there is real oppression in the world, especially for us as Christians, and that we need to be geared up for it to know how to address and how to see the difference. Number one, are the things that are coming upon me, God using those to motivate me to go do something else? Or number two, is it oppression from the enemy to stop me from doing what I am doing? I think that's a good question. I think we both need to know the answer. 
First of all, if you are effective in what you are doing for God, I would venture to say that what's coming at you is an attack of the enemy to stop you from doing what you're doing for God. In other words, the devil doesn't waste his time on dead horses. He's going to go after those that are movers and shakers. And by the way, everyone listening in this room, everyone listening on the radio and around the world on the internet, we all need to be a mover and shaker. That is not the pastor's responsibility or, or lay leader's responsibility or Sunday. All of us need to be a mover and a shaker. Now, how do you become a mover and a shaker? Good question. Pray. That's all you got to do. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You will go from the mundane to the supercharged, just the way it works. Because you're now doing your father's business, not your business. My business will be, I think, very similar to what the children of Israel are doing. Day-to-day doldrum. They were there in a rut. And God now puts slavery upon them and begins to motivate them to want to move. Now, sometimes again, we know that the attack is spiritual, but sometimes we know the things that we go through are to get us ready to move us into a new domain. Friends, that's what happens. I know endless people that have gone through different things. They've lost their business and everything only for God to move them where they want, where God wants them to be. But I also have seen other things that go on where you're miserable and God says, it's time to go. So in order, now you got to remember, they were in the very best land of Egypt. They were enjoying that for hundreds of years. Cushy, I like it here. Don't bother me. And then things come along and God says, okay, get ready to go. Well, I don't want to go. God says, yes, you will. And God begins to do things in an individual's life to cause us to say, I need to do something different. I remember distinctly, I was on the San Bernardino Freeway at 3 o'clock in the afternoon when I lived in Los Angeles. It was smoggy. It was hot. I didn't have air conditioning that worked in my car. And I was sitting in bumper-to-bumper traffic. And I looked around and I go, do I really want to live here the rest of my life? So I went into the evaluation that was scheduled at 3.30 in Arcadia, California. And I walked in and I sat down for my evaluation. We were sitting there and they said, well, Mike, we're just curious. What motivates you to work? You're a single guy. What motivates you? And I said, you know what? To pay my van off? They said, well, how much do you owe on it? I said, $200. I said, and I think that's about what I have coming in my uh, vacation pay. I quit. They said, what? And I said, yeah, I don't want to be here anymore. Why? Because I don't want to be here anymore. I was miserable. Bumper to bumper traffic, smoggy and hot. And I remember I used to come up to Idaho to see my grandma on summer vacation. I go, that's where I believe God wants me to go. But see, I wouldn't have gone had I not been challenged where I was at. This is not where I'm supposed to be. The children of Israel were complacent. They liked it where they were at. But God says, no, I'm going to put some things in your life now that are going to be motivators for you to change. Some of you may find this in your own life. 
It's not a spiritual oppression. It's that really you're kind of happy-go-lucky. You're kind of where I'm at. This is what I'm doing. And God says, okay, we're going to go into a deeper relationship with me. So he says, therefore, verse 11, I, I, whenever I find the word therefore in the Bible, I, I know, I always like to find why it's therefore. Why is that? Because it's a summary of what we just read. He says, therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pinnam and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiply and grew. And by the way, the Egyptians figured this out. The Romans figured this out, that uh, God's blessing is there regardless of what others try to do to you. We've always talked about this. God's blessing in your life is greater than the things others try to do to you or what you've done yourself. Wouldn't be much of a God of redemption if God could only redeem me from like really good things. But God redeems us from some really ugly things, really bad things, and things that I had nothing to do with, just people being mean. God's greater than that. And so as we shared before, rather than being filled with revenge, as Joseph could have been towards his brothers that sold him into slavery, Joseph recognized the hand of God, that God allowed that to happen so he could go to Egypt as a slave in a land he didn't know, in a language he couldn't speak, be falsely accused, end up in prison, But there he interpreted the butler's dream and the butler told Pharaoh when he had a dream and he couldn't interpret and he went from prison to prime minister in a day. You see, there's no real room in our lives and I know this is hard to say, but there's no real room for vengeance in a Christian's life. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Let him deal with the nasties. There's a lot of, there's so many nasties out there, you can't even begin to deal with them all. So let God deal with them. I don't know what he's going to do. You know, you look at the early church, and here's this wild nut running around named Saul, persecuting the church. Wherever he found him, he would capture them, deliver them into the hand of the Romans to be executed. And God lays him out on the road, on the way to Damascus to get more Christians to arrest them. And we find that we find because of that, probably a half of the New Testament has been penned by Paul to help all of us today. Now, I suppose if there was vengeance offered, God kill Saul now. Do you realize you would have killed half the New Testament? God's plan is bigger, and I don't know what he's doing. So all God's called you and me to do is do what he has called me to do. And that's to pray for my enemies. Yeah, I'll pray for them. God, kill them. No, 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 no. That's not what we want to do. You know, David do that. You start reading some of the Psalms. Oh, God, I pray you break their teeth out. But by the end of the chapter, he's praying and praising God. You see, I I think if we move outside of the venue of our relationship with God, we can then begin to take matters into our own hands. And how many of you, me, know how bad that turns out? 
We think we're going to fix it and we make it worse. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Let God deal with it. The more the Egyptians oppressed the children of Israel, the more they flourished. See, here's the thing you got to remember. Carnal Christians, because I know many of you have been burned by Christians just as bad as people that have no claim to God whatsoever. Amen? My hand, hands are up. I've had that happen. But you've got to remember something. Still, God is God. And he's the one that will take care of you and see you through. And it is not, again, my responsibility to deal with them. That is God's responsibility. I always must leave it in God's hands. He is your dad. He's your father. Not some unknowable God in the farthest most cosmos hiding behind Saturn. He's closer, nearer than a brother, the Bible says. And why is that important? If I lose that concept, I will take matters into my own hands. And by the way, friends, that's backsliding because that's what I did before I accepted Christ. I did it my way. Do you know what's interesting? In the garden, where Satan said to Eve, if you eat of the tree, you'll be as gods. Remember that? Do you know what's weird about that? Do you know, do you know what... Do you know what we have today in our society, 21st century America and the world? A world of gods. Not that other people worship, but that we worship. You worship your God. If I'm going to eat of the tree, you'll be as God. I'm not, they eat of the tree. I'm now God. I worship myself. I do. I want to buy magazines that say me on it. I want to buy magazines that say self on it. I want it. It's all about you, baby. You get the picture? You'll be as gods. In other words, it will be self-exhortation. That's what the problem is. It's no longer thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's my kingdom come, my, my will be done. Well, that's what the problem is. Now, why? Mick Jagger said it best. I can't get no satisfaction if I tried. Thanks for joining us on It's Time as Pastor Mike teaches verse-by-verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening and tune in next time for It's Time.